Yo, we are back once again. This is the Wu Tang Podcast. It is I, Singar Superior, the Almighty AR, still on hiatus, but nonetheless, I have a really special, dope episode for you guys. Um, for this episode, um, I have Josh Gannett. Well, Josh Gannett. He's a producer, music, musician, tour manager, and he is the engineer of. The latest Wu Tang album, Wu Tang: The Saga Continues. <laughs> what's good? And what's of good? Course, what's good, man? And of course, you are Red Man's engineer. Yes, sir. Uh, which I am sure is a a very interesting and cool job. So I, you know, I gotta ask you, uh, what's going on with uh, Muddy Waters? Muddy Waters too is in production, man. Well, first, thank you for having me on here and uh, chopping it up. But, uh, yeah, Muddy Waters, too, man. Doc is working very hard. Um, you know, he is putting in that quality control on it. So, you know, it's not a, it's not the type of thing that, you know, when you associate a, a name like Muddy Waters, too, to it, it's, it's because he has a certain uh, vision and sound in mind. And, um, you know, an artist of that caliber um, who takes as much care in in the presentation of their work and making sure everything is, you know, flowing right, feeling right, got the right vibe, feels like it's uh, putting out the right product. Uh, you know, he's real got a real good attention to detail for all that stuff. So it's a work in progress, but it's it's making great progress. And uh, Doc's got some fire on deck, man. Doc's got fire on deck for the people. Yeah, man. You know, I can only imagine because, you know, if you ask me, if I had to make like a top five, you know, most consistent hip hop artist ever, he is number one to me. He always comes out with consistent, uh, you know, albums, mixtapes, you name it. Music videos are always dope and creative. Um, and the thing about Red Man also, and I think a lot, I mean, sometimes I even forget about this, the fact that, you know, he, you know, he is also a producer and a DJ. And so um, he's a dope know, producer. Only... Absolutely. Oh, yes. He's a very dope producer. And uh, you know, because I know that you know he records himself and everything like that. I think you talked about it um, um, in an interview a while a while back, and uh, I recall he it was maybe like three years ago he did some interview I can't remember where, and um, he just kind of like mentioned you know um, just in passing that he records himself at uh, at his house or whatever, and people were like sh- like shocked and surprised by it, but you know uh, it's what he does, and so. Um, I can, uh, you know, with that, um, I can, I can totally understand and see like the kind of quality control. And, you know, I guess, you know, he has this particular vision, especially for, you know, a project that has, um, you know, so much esteem. Um, uh, I get, well, maybe I guess a series now, um, within the hip hop community. Yeah. And you know, you're right. Like he has that set up at, at the crib ready to rock. So, you know, we have his mic set up, we have all his equipment set up, his little booth set up, um, you know, which is just like if you've seen on the Cribs Revisited episode, it's just a little cut under the stairs. And, you know, it's, it's just right over there, um, you know, just in a spot that's easy and convenient that he can just run right from the board right into the booth. And he just needs to be ready to go that when he's there and inspired and ready to rock, he wants to be able to rock, you know. And you don't want to worry about having to mess around with uh, losing that moment and, and losing that ability to just keep working if you want to work and and the more operational stuff that he learns and knows how to do, it gives him the ability to really um, get stuff real close before we ever have to take it to the next step. Like he does a lot of the work on his own to really make sure that, uh, you know, it's got that right feel. Or when we're working together, it'll be a lot of times that, you know, we're trading off in that driver's seat, so to speak, um, where, you know, I'll be there doing something on the, on the song, working on some part of the record and it'll uh make make some other part be exposed that he catches that he wants to adjust a little bit but he has a particular thing in mind so he just uh hop in the seat and just make the move right there and he's just somebody who he likes to work you, you know if anybody follows his instagram uh you know you, you always see him making the videos talking about work 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 and and that's not for the tv that's not a character that's not um you know, something that's uh, just a new cool catchphrase for him or something like this. That's this man's life. And, um, you know, working with somebody like that, it just inspires you to keep putting in that same level of effort and really making sure that you're bringing that top quality with everything you bring to the table. 
Yeah, and you are also his tour manager too, right? Um, I have worked as as his tour manager for a couple of particular tours or uh, you know one off shows and stuff like that. He has other tour managers that have been with him for a long time, and uh, just depending on the situation, if they may be off with another project or if he has uh, something where it goes out, I you know I'm kind of like a fill in substitute guy that helps out sometimes as far as that goes. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, um, but being out on the road with Doc is a good time. I've I've helped out and done other jobs out on tour with him as well, uh, besides just that tour manager thing. But um, you know, it's always great being out on the road with Doc. It's a fun time. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, and so you're from Jersey. Yes, sir. Right, Jersey and uh, Jersey. And so, do you have any musicians in your family? Um, my uncle who I don't ever uh remember meeting he passed away when i was very young um but apparently he was a talented musician other than that we don't really have too much of uh, a music background in my family at all now mm, well you know you well you wear you wear so many hats and you know throughout you know the music industry and everything so i can only imagine uh you know if you're around the dinner table it may be kind of hard to explain to people what you do sometimes do you ever get that yeah, absolutely. You know, there's always the question of what exactly do you, you know, do you do? Even people that have known me uh, my whole life, like you said, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'll usually just explain the mixing, um, you know, mixing records or working in the studio and that type of stuff. Because the other things that I do, it's, uh, you know, a little bit more involved or more to explain, um, you know. Uh, but like you said, I wear a lot of different hats in the business. I've managed for groups before I had, a, a band I was managing that I put on the, uh, billboard charts, uh, for the blues out al- their blues album and had red featured on that album as well. Um, and, uh, I had, I had red featured on another album with that band as well. Um, you know, and I, I've done some tour managing with that band. I've done some, uh, merchandise, for bands, I've done, you know, I, I I come from a history of people in business more than music in my family. And with that said, I just, I try not to look at everything as just, um, you know, just another day in the studio. Everything is an opportunity to really be creative and bring something new to the table that people may enjoy and that might hold some value. And so, whereas music is definitely the, the vehicle for all that and the focal point of all that it's still something for me that's just more about being part of that creative process in general um whether it be directly related to the music or not mm-hmm. and the band that you're talking that you're that you that you just mentioned that's uh john ginty's band yep right? that's the that's the right one yep yep and john ginty john ginty did uh, i'm sorry if i'm if i'm slaughtering his name no but, no no uh, that's right john ginty okay yeah, and he also did organs for the Wu Tang album, right? Yeah, he played organ on Pearl Harbor. Ah, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite tracks off the uh, off the Wu Tang album. That but, song uh, is a beast. That song it, is an it, absolute beast. Sean Price comes in like an animal on that one. Yeah, but but before we get into that album, I do want to talk a bit more about you because you, you I mean you do have this really checkered background because you know way back when you also had your own rock band too. That's right, man. I see you did your research. Damn, you're digging. You're digging. But you know, I, I will say actually there's there's one person I should definitely credit in my family uh musically on her own separate trajectory. Um my cousin, my little cousin, she started getting into the live event production uh, side of things and she did a lot of stuff with Superfly who puts on Bonnaroo and she was one of the original people involved in helping uh, with the Governor's Ball Music Festival for uh, Founders Entertainment and so she kind of helped bring me into that side of the world with doing a lot of the festival work that I do because uh, I do artist relations work for uh, a lot of the music festivals throughout the country and she she introduced me to that whole world and then th- so through her uh, separate career path she did that stuff and ended up going out touring with a bunch of great artists. Uh, MGMT, she worked with. Um, she worked with Eric Clapton. She's uh, worked with Jack Johnson. So she she's a badass in her own right. And you know, I always tell her that I'm uh, lucky that I have a little cousin I get to look up to like her. Yeah, absolutely. So she's a badass in music too. But as far as directly, you know, playing in music and stuff like that is, uh, is that would only be the uncle. So you have this, so you have this rock band and everything, 
and you know you're, you're taking it really seriously or well i mean yeah so you're taking it really seriously and then um you have another band that asks you to record them eventually yeah well actually they had asked uh, it was a band called potentially potentially dangerous uh they're a little punk rock band they had heard our album and they asked me to produce them and you know at the time i didn't really know exactly what a producer was supposed to be um but i i just used my best guess of why they were hiring me um and at that point i'd really only produced my own bands uh, or my own band and my own songs and i wasn't doing any engineering at the time at all um so they just liked kind of the vibe that i was able to help get on the record with uh, my band so uh, I just took it on as a challenge, like, sure, I'll, I'll produce your album. And I brought them to the studio that I was comfortable, uh, most comfortable with that I had worked at, where I had the best rapport with the engineer, um, that he could really kind of understand my ideas and help execute them uh, in a way that I thought would be good to work with. And so I went into the studio with those guys and just acted as a producer, basically a paid opinion, and tried to help them sound a little less like a bunch of... Uh, kids who were figuring out how to play their instruments and a little bit more like a band and um you know through that process it actually turned out to be a really really dope record and uh the kid josh chafee from potentially dangerous he was actually the first person to ever bring me in as uh you know an outside person working on the production end of somebody else's album and from there it just gave me an opportunity to look over the shoulder of the engineer and kind of pick up some little tricks and then you know after something like that the more opportunities you get like that the more you earn your way back into a studio the more you have a chance to learn how to do more shit and so i was just in the studio a lot and uh, picked up a lot of stuff from there and the rest uh kind of started snowballing from that point mm, yeah mm, that's cool so and but like before that you just kind of had it said that you were going to be in in this rock band and just you know do that do that thing that that thing for as long as you possibly could i just knew i wanted to create man i knew i wanted to make music i knew i wanted to uh do something that mattered to me that felt like um you know something that felt like it was important that could leave a mark of something that lasts longer than i will feel me i wanted to be able to you know i have three sisters right I want to be able to make my three sisters feel proud that they can uh, pick up a CD and look inside and see their their last name. You know, granted, it's not necessarily their last names anymore, but, you know, at the time, we're young. So I, I wanted my sisters to be able to feel proud and see our name and our family name in, in those records and stuff like that. That's why you see that I don't use an alias when uh, when I work like a lot, a lot of other people in the hip hop industry do. And it, it's because my goal was to just be creative, leave something that hopefully other people could enjoy and appreciate. And, you know, that my that my sisters and my friends and the people that I gave a shit about in this life would be able to feel proud that, uh, you know, that, yeah, this is this is something that we helped inspire to happen. Yeah, that's what that, that's that's what's up, man. Um and so with you know with you you know doing this because i think you were also like an assistant also look you know you're looking over the shoulders of different oh yeah um, i worked as an assistant many times absolutely i worked as an assistant for several years actually and that's that's just pretty much anything they need to do that they need you to do you just do it well my assistant experience was a little different than most because i guess when by the time i took my first assistant job i had already had a lot of studio experience as an engineer um, I just wanted to get to a better level, you know, and kind of fast track my growth, I guess, and feel like I was learning quicker and newer techniques. And, you know, I, I after getting to work on one particular album with uh, Ron Nevison, who had produced, you know, for Led Zeppelin and, and Jefferson Starship and all these great bands and stuff. And, you know, he was one of these guys that was behind like the comeback of a lot of great artists um you know i'd done a project with him and just seeing kind of his techniques and the way he worked and stuff like that it just like made me made my eyes open up to how working with people at this other level can just um expand your creativity and your knowledge in such a fast level because it, it it can verify your own creativity like 
that it's okay to think outside the box, that I don't have to do it exactly the way that, uh, you know, you're supposedly supposed to do it, that it's still art, you know, it's, uh, and so after doing that, it, it just made me want to have more experiences like that. So then I started working as an assistant from there. And as far as all the other stuff that basically doing everything you need done, like I, I was always a guy that we had a lot of interns around to do most of that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, beyond that, um, sorry about that. But yeah, uh, beyond that, when, when I worked as an assistant, I was basically doing setups, uh, miking the, you know, you, you basically do all the operational stuff, um, to get the session set up and going and, you know, everything from actually running the pro tools to, uh, running the cabling to the mics and setting up the patch bay and getting all the equipment set up and all that stuff. But then the, engineer goes in at that point and just makes it easier that he can go in and worry about getting sounds he doesn't have to worry necessarily about you know is i have to go out and put the microphones around the drum set or are they in the correct place or anything like that so uh you know it just has you more keeping sessions moving fast and kind of just managing the day-to-day -day operation of a studio uh depending on the studio you work at but in my case that's more what it was like, just ma an everyday manager and uh, keeping sessions moving. But then that gives you an opportunity to meet a lot of people and look over the shoulder of the engineer in a lot of sessions and learn new tricks, learn new techniques, um, shit that you didn't necessarily think of or things that maybe you thought were too left field that uh, you shouldn't try. And then you see other people are trying things that are even more wild. And it, it just, uh, you know, it helps you uh, expand your own ability to to dip into that creativity yeah and you know so and you've at this point you've mixed you know in pretty much every every damn genre rock americana you name it jazz hip-hop and so with that um um what's um is there like a uh what's what's different about mixing um when it comes to mixing all those different kinds of genres well every genre has its own you know uh, signatures that that people are used to hearing, I guess, within that genre. But for me, I, I try really not to be too stuck to the genre and, and more, you know, like I'm not worried about the radio play of a song generally. I, I'm really worried about helping catch that creativity uh, that the artist was going for when they recorded it or when they wrote it and just expand on that. Um, so for me, it's more individual to the song. I like to play off the vibe that I get from, you know, the the overall project, the individual song, the artist, um, the way they're going to be performing it on stage. Like I, I try and take everything into consideration and and just reach a certain vibe, you know, and not get too stuck in genre. Where I do pay more attention to genre is on things like, you know, there's just certain sonic qualities that you want to have more in place and you know from genre to genre like with with hip-hop records especially anything with a boom bap like i'm i'm worried about the drums like uh, i want the drums to hit a certain way if the drums don't hit the rest of the record is not going to feel right no matter how much time i spend on it it will not feel right if those drums aren't hitting correctly because there's a certain way you're used to experiencing drums on a boom bap record and they have to be that or better and if they're not then it's not going to feel right. Um, you know, I've done some reggaeton records in, in the past and, you know, working in that genre, everything is the drum on that. And in that it's even in the production of it, the, the drum pattern, um, you know, there's certain synth sounds that you'll hear or different, um, instrumentation over top that you'll hear or different types of percussive patterns that you'll hear that, you know, are definitely going to vary genre to genre, but where possible, I, try my best to just you know not get too technical and just get into the vibe of a record and listen to it and try my best not to overly dissect it and remember to listen to it as a song when i'm sitting here dissecting it you know mm -hmm. and and that's how you got introduced to what mathematics was doing with uh with this latest wu-tang album just vibing with them on the tour bus i believe yeah that's how i got introduced to it initially um we were vibing on the tour bus and you know me and red had a studio set up in the back of the tour bus and um 
we you know every night after the show we would hop right into the studio pretty much and just uh work on work all night you know and so mathematics started setting up uh in the front just on his laptop and banging out on some beats he was working on and putting together some uh you know some songs he had and 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 letting us hear some stuff that he had been working on and from there it was like i had helped him out just touching up uh something he was working on and uh you know, the vibe of it was just real cool. It was just a real good vibe. And obviously, you know, all these dudes, we're all cool from being out on the road and doing shows and, you know, hanging out with these dudes and everything. So when it came time for him to work on this project, you know, he had uh, hit me up and just seen would I be interested in helping out with it and everything. And, uh, you know, that's also how he got introduced to, like you mentioned, John Ginty, um, you know, and Gary Foote as well on that album, uh, on the same song, actually. He uh, he's actually Smokey Robinson's bass player, and uh, that's somebody that I had, uh, you know, helped connect math with as well. When he just asked, "Hey, do you know any good bass players that I could use for anything?" and so I mentioned this guy and linked them up, and you know, so it ended up working out in that situation as well. And uh, basically, you know, math just brought me the stuff to listen to and and see could I help out on it and would I be interested in helping out? And I li- and and it just blew me away right away. I I. Like even from what I had heard on the bus, what I heard on the bus was cool and it was a good start to what he was going to do. But when I heard where he had taken everything and what he had done, it was, you know, to me, I, I just, it felt like it was a real dope project that I wanted to be a part of. And, uh, so I was, I was happy to jump on it, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, I think that, I think that the, um, what this album does best, um, is that it does really set like it does have this it has a particular vibe to it which you know of course um his u- mathematics use of the asr 10 which i'm sure you know a lot of you got you listeners are really acquainted with the asr 10 especially with different wu-tang albums and riz's production which really you know kind of sets the tone but also the um the just the general warmth of the album and the bass uh um and how the bass sounds throughout the entire album so um, I, I think, I believe you said, and I think every engineer kind of feels this way, that you prefer to, um, to, to work with analog. Um, so when it, so when it came to like the bass and everything like that, um, did you kind of still have like this, the same approach when you like got deeper into, um, the project, like you really wanted to um, make sure that the bass was right, the drums were right? Well, I, absolutely. So, you know, math had a really interesting, um, way that this ended up coming together partially because of uh, just situationally with the with the scheduling and everything but also with the create with the creative process like you mentioned he ran everything through the asr 10 he had certain vibe he wanted he had sent uh the songs to two separate engineers um to help do stem mixes on them and just mix down some of the elements together and each one of them had come back with certain elements um that you know he really loved that had brought out really cool aspects of of the songs in different ways so when he brought me the stuff everything was stemmed out and certain stems were you know the same for example all the drums in this uh, in in jamie's stem would be the same as the drums and phenomenal stem stems uh, as far as which elements were there but sometimes it would be different sometimes it'd be like this one has the kick the snare everything separate and this one has, you know, on the same song, all the drums blended together and the bass separate, you know, or something like that. So we would go through and listen to which elements really, um, you know, seemed like they were bringing the right vibe from all those stems. And then I went from there and I used them as my starting point. And then, uh, you know, I just adjusted everything from there. And you're, you're right. I do prefer to be in an analog domain when possible. But the reality is a lot of the times again with uh you know with deadlines that come into play and and schedules that come into play and and just the ability to get in and out sometimes it's just so much more practical to do things in the digital world and this we actually ended up doing um as far as the final mixes that i did they were entirely uh entirely in the box um but with that said, you know, everything had already been run through an analog process before that and ran again through an analog process after that. Um, 
but the mixes that we did were in the box and we just spent a lot of time, you know, making sure that, like you said, the, you know, something like the bass is going to be a focal point, especially with somebody like mathematics, who's, you know, got his ear for a certain vibe that he's got in mind. And, and he really wants to get a signature sound on this thing that has kind of been established already. You know, it's not, um, like that's one of the challenges with the album is that you're not talking about a new group of guys that you've never heard before uh, releasing an album that has a uh, you know throwback vibe or a you know a similar to Wu Tang vibe or something like. That. You're talking about Wu Tang, so there's already a predetermined um, expectation of a sonic quality. And, you know, with that in mind, it's like we we were very tuned in to just making sure that those elements hit a particular way and, uh, you know, that everything just left you feeling a certain way. Again, it goes back to the same thing I said uh, when I mix different genres. It's, you know, it just had to feel a certain way. Um, Definitely my, you know, my ears and math's ears come into play with the particulars of, of how you know, a certain element may, may sound, but as far as the actual songs, it's like, you just want to be able to sit back and listen to it as a song and hear a certain vibe. And, uh, you know, so that's what we tried to do. And there were certain things that we, we had worked on and then last minute, uh, maybe there was something where it's like, you know what, we do need to make uh, a quick adjustment on this because something's just not feeling right to me. And we would do that, and we would do something, send it right out to mastering. Mike Dean uh, did the mastering on the project. And, uh, yeah, so everything went right to him uh, from here, and and he was on it. You know, there were some nights where we were trying to make changes. Um, you know, right up till the last minute, there was a couple of things that just needed to be adjusted. And, you know, mathematics came down. We, we adjusted the mixes, and we sent them right away over to Mike Dean, and, Mike Dean took them and did his work on them and uh, just sent them right back. And, you know, just that fast. Where sometimes math had the song go from being stems to being mixed, mastered, and ready to go by the end of the night. Bitch! Hey, what's up, people? This is Issa from the Young Free and Coupled Podcast. Isn't it amazing how Wu-Tang can bring people together from all around the world? If we want to keep this going, this podcast is a great way guys i want you to rate review comment and subscribe okay also check them out on twitter facebook and youtube bang now you know mathematics since he's since him and rizzo have been doing this uh this press run and everything uh, he keeps uh mentioning that when he was preparing the album uh, you know, working on the beats and everything that he only listened to 36 Chambers um, in the Chronic 2001. So uh, when you began wor- uh, beca- when you began uh, working with the project, did you ever go to any particular Wu-Tang albums um, or anything like that just to try to get like a, a particular kind of vibe or you just went strictly off of what um, Mathematics, um, you know, talked to you about? You know, funny enough, I didn't really uh, listen back to anything in particular to put myself in the vibe. Yeah, I, I stay relatively busy working in um, hip hop with these type of artists and stuff. And so I, I listen to this stuff on a relatively regular basis still. You know, I'll I'll still be in my car riding and throw on, you know, Dox the Name or or Tikal or whatever. You know, I, I, I still listen to these albums that these guys uh, put out that I came up on, you know, and. I'm also somebody who graduated high school in 1999. These dudes were rocking heavy when I was in high school, and I'm from Jersey, like I said. So the, you know, these dudes, we would hear these guys all the time. Um, so for me, it wasn't so much about going back. And as far as, you know, the, like I just went off the vibe that I felt like the songs dictated. Really, I mean, the way people spit on them, the way math produced them, they lent themselves to an area where I felt. I just needed to follow the lead that was already there and highlight and accentuate the things that needed to be made bigger, better. Um, but not really that I needed to worry about, uh, you know, creating the vibe. You feel me? 
So when it when it sounds like that and it's already got a vibe together, the only thing you got to remember is to follow the lead and make it better and, and not try and polish it too much, not try and make everything sound like it was, uh, you know, like if I if we tried to make this sound like a Drake album, it would have sounded stupid. You know, if we tried to do those types of mixes on it, it wouldn't have made sense with this production. Um, you know, it, it, it had to sound authentic to the songs, to the artists, to the the feeling that you want to have, like you want to be able to close your eyes and feel like you're in Staten Island with these dudes. And, and I think we were more concerned with that than, um, you know, anything else. And as far as the chronic, uh, and 36 chambers references, like math and I had spoken about that as well. And, you know, I think that gets, uh, taken to maybe, uh, a different context than it's meant. Like, I don't think math, was in any way trying to recreate 36 chambers or recreate uh the chronic 2000 as much as i think that when you listen to those two albums you can really tell how they both do have a signature like they really have a sound to them they're you know they're flawless with their flaws um you know any imperfection on the albums adds to how dope it is um you know what i mean and and so I think with that in mind, Math just knew that he wanted something that had that stamp of, you know, that clear uh, modern drum, maybe, where the Sonics are concerned, or a little bit more, not not like a Drake drum, not like something you're going to hear on a new pop record drum, but something that still feels like Wu-Tang, but just a little bit more of a, you know, in a Sonic space that it, it, it feels a little more forward in today. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, no. Yeah, I can, I can most definitely um, see that. And you know, what's funny is that I remember a while ago, um, Ghostface. He was on. He was talking about something. Uh, I think it was on some a podcast. I believe I can't remember what it what when it was, but he was talking. You know, he was doing like um, a tour with um, I think uh, Sheik when he when they did like the whole Woo Block project from some years back. Right. And. He was talking about how, you know, when they, they perform together, you know, you put on like the Wu-Tang shit, you know, it doesn't slap as hard as, you know, like, as like, you know, Sheik's, you know, Locks Diddy shit Absolutely. Um, does. And of course, and so um, and I just found that so interesting because I always kind of wondered if, um, you know, if anyone ever, ever thought about that. But, you know, one thing about me um, that I do enjoy when, every, when a new Wu-Tang album comes out is how it's mixed because all, um, each and every each and every Wu album, they're mixed, you know, totally differently. And it just seems like it's based on what Riz is doing at the time and what he just has in mind when it comes to the production, you know, just from like, you know, just the outsider's, um, you know, uh, point of view. But I, I, I really think that the best, like, mixed album, um, you know, of like the earlier, I guess, yeah, like the at, in the you know at the start of the millennium is probably the W just because like it's I like how you just said like it's flawless with its flaws right um and just how like it has like the like you know ghost faces like vocals are distorting in some part like it's just like the way that it's, it just all yeah comes but it's together, cool like, though kinda, yeah it's cool yeah. it's like it's all right it's not it's not doing it bad I always use the reference of the song um you know I think it's a song most people are familiar with uh, the song Why Can't We Be Friends by War I believe um. But, you know, the very beginning of that song, there's a clam on the piano. And I never heard anybody say that they don't like that song because the guy hits a funky piano chord right in the beginning of the fucking song. Like, you never noticed it. It never bothered you. It never, you just know the, the hook. Why can't we be friends, you know? And it's because it's a dope song. And, and, you know, back in those days when people were recording on tape and everything, and even with some of these uh, hip hop albums, the classic hip hop albums, when people were recording on tape, there was certain stuff that you just didn't have um, the thought process to even bother to do. Like you're working with tape. There wasn't a quest for perfection. There was a quest for art. And that's one of the things that's changed when we went into the digital realm of recording is that, um, you know, we've saved so much time in the digital world. Like if I want to put an effect on something, I can click a plugin and the effect is there. I don't have to worry about having my assistant patch in the effects, uh, you know, do the send, do the return, get everything set the way I like it, go over, physically walk over, dial up the equipment, wait for the tape to rewind and, and play each time that I want to check my sound, you know, lay down the sound, all that. Like we don't have to do all that. We can just hit a button and it's there. Now, 
what we've done though is we replaced all those seconds we saved with this quest for an unnatural perfection in a lot of the modern music so that's where you you hear a lot of these things that are so polished and clean and it works great for certain types of records but i think for something like this it it would be you know a disservice to the album like you don't you don't want to clean it up in some ways it's like uh you know it's like an antique you don't want to clean up uh, an antique you want to leave its natural aged look to it because it adds to the value it makes it cooler it's part of the thing and um you know i think that's what we kept in mind with with this as well it's just that each album has to have its unique place and its unique sound uh for the time but it still has to feel authentic to the artist and you know nobody wants to uh have a song out that doesn't sound like them you know and so where I have the ability to control any of that type of stuff, I just try and bear in mind that like, what, what, did, how did I want to hear this stuff back then with the modern knowledge of where things are now, you know, what would I do to kind of marry the two? And, uh, you know, you mentioned with the live stuff as well, not slapping the same way that that's interesting that, uh, you bring that up. Uh, that's actually something that we put some time into as well and helping mathematics update some of those things. Um, you know, and, and, and add some new life to some of those classic tracks to help them just slap a little harder when they do some of those live shows. Oh, really? So, um, so how, uh, how do you go about doing something like that? Mathematics went ahead and added what he wanted to add as far as certain, uh, beefiness to some maybe drum elements or different things here and there to their show tracks. And then he passed them along to me and had me just, uh, throw a mix and master on each of those. So just to give them something, so now when they do the live show, hopefully uh, when they, from from their perspective on the stage, when they're trying to perform, they'll be able to just feel the music different. Um, I think that's what ends up happening where you talk about the live stuff not slapping as hard as when you're used to the modern way that things sound now, you feel a lot of that um, if you're standing on the stage, uh, especially at one of these big venues or a big festival or something like that, you feel all that low end coming through the stage and, and it really, you know, you're playing a lot to that beat. And uh, I think when they get used to hearing it that way and then hear some of the other stuff from the past, maybe that's where you really notice the difference is just from their performance perspective. Um, you know, I'm sure that hearing more low end would inspire somebody to, you know, ride that beat a different way or move a little different, uh, you know, just to feeling the moment more, I guess. The same reason you have big speakers out there for the live show for the crowd, I think it still helps for the artist as well, you know. That's that's dope. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you you never really think about stuff like that. I mean, you know, I I really I really hadn't as much, but I thought I you know I started thinking more deeply about you know live like live stuff and how it changes over time. Um, you know, especially from you know um, when it comes to hip hop. You know, from the 90s, and then you have Trap, which is, you know, just crazy with the 808s and just how it sounds live. Right. Uh, yeah, and, if you ever been to a, and if you've ever been to a show where you've seen uh, an artist on stage that wasn't happy with the sound on stage, you know, you can see right away how much it affects the performance and affects everything. So anything you're doing to make the artist feel more comfortable on the stage really is the, is the point of all of it, you know? You just want these guys to be able, kind of the same as the assistant engineer job, you know? The point of the assistant is to make it that the engineer can walk in and just do his job, man, and make the fucking record. And anything you can do to help the artist feel like they can just hit that stage and do their fucking job. And, and they don't have to worry about thinking about shit that they shouldn't have to worry about. How's it going to sound? How's the stage going to be set up? You know, is there going to be waters or towels? It's the same thing, you know, like everything is going to be uh, done that can help make somebody more comfortable because at the end of the day, that's going to help make it easier for them to do their job at a high level and go out there and kill it for the people that work their ass off all week to afford a ticket to come hang out and see a show. And at the end of the day, those people don't care about how it sounded on stage or anything like that. They work their ass off and they want to see a good show. And, and, and these artists who have longevity, they understand that well enough to make sure that they're doing everything they can to give these guys um, you know, the feeling that they spent their money well on their entertainment budget that they invested it into coming out and seeing them instead of doing something else, you know?
sticking with uh, this Wu Tang Wu Tang mixes for um, a bit a bit longer. Uh, I'm interested to know, you know, your approach to to mixing uh, down the different vocals since there are, you know, people from all walks of life and different um, voice textures all throughout the album. So um, was there a particular way that you approached that? Well, obviously there was, but how did you approach it, I should say? Well, I guess I have a little bit of, uh, of the cheating ability of having the heads up of having worked with meth enough times that, you know, meth voice is, is so distinct, man. And, you know, everybody that's whether he's your favorite lyricist or not from from the Wu, he's always somebody that when he comes on a track, you know, meth is coming on the track like it sounds like meth. And but his tone of his voice is actually difficult to to get to sit right on a track compared to some other people's just because the way he spits the tone he has. But having worked with him enough, I know how he likes his uh, voice to sound. I know how, um, you know he prefers it to sit in the mix from his live stage to the songs that we've worked on together that, you know, I, I kind of based a lot of it around that, um, you know, making sure, and, and especially with the amount of red man that's featured on the album as well, you know, I have a ton of experience with, with how red likes his stuff to sit. And so I kind of, um, use those two as, as the basis and went from there and tried to, you know, everybody has their unique thing. I just tried not to go too hard into making everybody sound the same. And just, uh, you know, some people needed uh, more EQing or compression or, you know, adjustments than others to make it fit in the flow of the context of the song. But, um, you know, I really would, would I'd probably say that I, I based most of it around you know, the first couple songs that I worked on had had uh, heavy Method Man appearances. And uh, I think one of the early ones I worked on, actually, one of the earliest songs I worked on was that, uh, uh, if not the first song, was the uh, Pearl Harbor song with uh, Sean Price. So from there, it was, you know, just kind of going off of the vibe of, of uh, you know, the openness of the organ with with um you know like the way rizza has his his odd flow on the song and sean p coming in uh as hard as he does i just kind of tried to make sean p sound like a bully when we started that one and then go from there and then with everything else it was like i kind of built off that method man vibe of okay well here's where meth needs to sit here's what's going to feel good uh for doc when we play the stuff back for him and, um, you know, mathematics is comfortable with my judgment in between point A to point B on that stuff. And so then I just kind of based the rest of it just to make sure that it, you know, had some level of flow from there. But at the same time, man, there's also certain certain parts of a song where, uh, you know, there's something that maybe is a little lower than some of the other other guys. And in, in some ways where it just the way the lyrical content of that verse maybe just felt like it, it felt cooler, a little quieter. And when we put it up, it just, for some reason, it just didn't feel as cool. So we edged it, uh, edged it back a little bit or where somebody's, uh, verse sounds like it may be a little bit hotter than, uh, the other people's in level. Um, you know, we just, again, we just went off the vibe of what felt cool. And part of that also comes down to, like I mentioned with people's schedules and stuff and deadlines, um, you know, a lot of it was when we had to do this stuff, we really had to hit action and go. And, you know, we we worked very, very uh, hard, but very quickly on this stuff. And, you know, in the sense of we didn't have months and months to go back and forth and make adjustments on every mix, um, you know, for, for weeks at a time. So this, there's some stuff that if I listen back to the album right now, you know, there's some stuff where I'd still think like, man, it would have been cool if we did this here or that there. Maybe this would have made it a little better. But at the end of the day, all that stuff might have changed the vibe. And it's like an album is a time capsule. You know, you can always go back and you can always look at something of what you could have done different. Like, you know, it, and now it's a painting. It's, uh, you know, it's not a reprint of a photograph. It's an, It's a painting. It's an original. And when you're thinking of it like that, then it, I guess, opens up the ability to, to 
just let let the the artist sound how it feels cool you know what i mean because then it's like uh this is just a time capsule of what feels cool right now for this group in this moment with these songs um and uh you know so i just tried to fit it into that mode i guess now you you mentioned uh ron working with ron nevison earlier um uh earlier um about some of the some of the advice he gave you and i was going to ask you this question um you know when it when it comes to you know being creative um as a as a producer and as an engineer and so um within the context of um the saga continues was there anything like just kind of out of the box that you did um uh in general when it came to this album um like with a particular song or something like that um well i'll there's actually a few things that we did um you know, even the way that we recorded the, uh, you know, the Hammond B3, for example, um, on Pearl Harbor, that's the organ on Pearl Harbor, uh, like, that's done with live mics, live studio, live instrumentation um, in a big room that has a lot of uh, natural reverb on it. It has a spring reverb in the actual organ itself. Um you know that and it was done in one particular studio that had um you know that we were all set up in working on some organ tracks at the time and uh you know kind of just hit go on that stuff so it had a sound that was initially going to be dialed up um for something else i was going to be recording that night and then we ended up just kind of tweaking it to what felt cool to that song and and uh if i'm not mistaken when we tracked that we had the the basic tracking of the instrumentation aside from the organ playing through a monitor speaker live in the room so it just gave a different vibe that he could play to um as opposed to uh being stuck inside the uh you know just stuck inside the box or in the headphones and so when we went from there we took that back and you know, we, I, I always kind of hear his organ in particular treated, uh, in ways that make a lot of sense for his albums. Um, when we've worked on stuff together in the studio and he does a lot of stuff for other artists as well. Um, you know, where it's always able to be kind of fit into the style of the artist. So, uh, I guess just the, the processing of that, you know, taking it from something that we were using, so drastically different earlier in the day for a blues-based album and uh you know some country type stuff and then taking that sound and you know just twisting it into something that made sense you know with this gritty dirty wu-tang vibe song and and sean p coming in talking about have you ever been face fucked by a forfeit you know it's like it um you know so just like as far as a specific treatment and everything like that to any individual element, um, you know, I, I, I can't recall a particular thing as far as the, you know, what I would have done seeming so out, outside of the box. But like that's the type of stuff that, uh, you know, catches my attention more is like taking something that I've heard used just so differently and then just making it work within the context of this particular record, you know. Like I, I'm so I'm just so fascinated by like the like the entire world of just like you know just live you know mixing and stuff like that and just how like how you guys just work day in and day out and you know I mean in, in these different studios and everything like that. Um, yeah, you'll have to you'll have to forgive me. Part of that helps a lot of uh, a lot of this stuff blur together from session to session. <laughs> you have so obviously you have um, experience with Method Man um, uh, mixing him. I think you just recently worked with Inspector Deck, right? Uh, yeah, I've actually been doing a bunch of stuff lately with Inspector Deck. He's got some. He's got some great material coming out too. He, like, you know, I. The thing that always amazes me, which, uh, you know, I always bring up, is is how talented these dudes still are with their pens. And um, you know, I don't just mean Woo in particular. I just mean these artists that we came up listening to. Um, they still they have that same a lot of them have that same creative drive, you know, and they exercise their mind and their pen and, and they do the work and they still say things uh, on such interesting levels like method man on, on, um, 
fly navigation time is money record he you know he has a line where he's talking about between the tray and the doughboy we bred different that just to me is it just explains how how great these dudes still are you know when you break it down to the to the movie references to the just uh you know to the baking references to whatever like there's little bars like that that can be taken two three different ways um all throughout this album and you know other projects that these dudes are putting out and uh yeah but deck has a lot of that stuff coming too from uh from the stuff that i've worked on with him that i've heard you know, cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Deck, he he's been on a tear right now with with uh with these uh Zarface projects he's been coming out with. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, you know, actually, yeah, I think you know, kind of like a kind of you know, like you know, a bit different, but within like the same kind of uh, I guess wheelhouse as um as the saga continues, most definitely. I guess in closing, so uh, so uh, what are some of your uh, what are your, your top three favorite songs off of uh, the saga continues? Ooh, man, putting me on the spot. That's a tough one. I mean, I. I, I guess I would have to kind of say uh, Pearl Harbor has got to be one of them because, uh, you know, I was a big Sean P fan. And when I first heard his bars on this record, uh, it was before he passed. That was the first time I, I touched that particular record. And, uh, you know, I had mentioned to mathematics at the time how grateful I was to him uh to have me work on that like i've spoken with with rock several times about you know trying to do something together with him and uh you know but i i'd never worked on a sean p song i'd met him when he was alive but i'd never worked on a sean p song so when he he brought that one to me um the first time it just meant a lot to be able to work on a sean p song and then when he had passed since then and hearing it now, it's just, uh, you know, that one definitely I'm a big fan of. And musically, I'm a fan of it as well. Um, you know, the People Say record, I love it. I know it's the single, so maybe it's a little too obvious, but I, I love that record. Um, shit, my third one, that's a tough one, bro. That's a tough one to say. I mean, I really like the the Time is Money record. I love Meth's bars on that. Um you know, I, I love I also really like Lesson Learned, the record with Deck and uh and Doc on it. Um, you know, I like the way they spit on that. Um Yeah, I would probably say Lesson Learned, Pearl Harbor, and uh maybe People Say. But that's right now while I'm talking to you. If you ask me that same question an hour, I might tell you three totally different songs. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, well, you know, we're we're kind of close. Um, yeah, like G'd up. I mean, G'd up is is a uh, is a killer joint too to me. I mean, but yeah, yeah. For me, like at Pearl Harbor, lesson learned, and my only one. I just I love that beat. Yeah, and you know that's the great thing to me about about these types of records too is that like, you know, they're debated and and you know, there's people you hear say that a song like My Only One shouldn't be on a Wu-Tang album or, you know, it doesn't sound like it. And then there's other people that you'll talk to that that's their favorite song on the album. And they think it's, you know, it's everything that they were hoping they would hear on a, on a new album from dudes like this. So it's, you know, that's the cool thing about this particular album to me is when, you know, I, I, hear the response and see some of the feedback and everything. And I'm not one of these people who, uh, I know you're never supposed to read your own press, but I, I read the comments. I look at stuff. I'm not scared to see what people are saying. And, uh, you know, I actually have, have really enjoyed that on this one that, you know, when you, when you go through everyone saying from the most positive to the most negative comment about the album, it's, it's a lot of, it'll be about the same thing highlighted where, you know, it's it's inspiring a certain level of debate and the overall response that I've seen has been, you know, extremely positive. And uh, it, it seems like a record that, like I said, if, if you take the Wu-Tang name off of it and you you forget about how much history you have with any of the individual artists in your music listening and you just sit back and listen to it as an album, to me, it just feels like a dope album that I would want to play again. You know, and uh, and I think that's the overall vibe that uh, I, I've seen people get from the response, you know. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, I was I was a bit um, taken aback by the response, you know, even with, you know, me like people were, you know, emailing me, email me, hit me up, asked me like what, you know, what, some of the listeners of the podcast asked me what I thought about it. And uh, it took me it took me a while to because I had I had a mother, my mother was in town, and everything like that. So I just and then Master Killer's album came out. So it was, it was just too much going on. Right. But um, but yeah, but you know, like, yeah, it, this does kind of seem like one of those albums, like, you know, people like really love it or they just really hate it. It doesn't seem like there's like that much like that this like that there really isn't much of a middle ground. But right. And you know what? That's OK, because if you're if you're an artist, you know the last thing you're trying to be is wallpaper, man. Like you're trying to inspire a response. You're not trying to be, uh, you know, just, just cool water. You know what I mean? Like the, it, it's okay to love it. It's okay to hate it. And it's, a, you know, but to, to hear it and, and not, not feel anything to me is, is much, much more difficult for an artist, you know, to, to, think of something like that like they just want to create something that feels dope to them and if it feels that dope it's usually going to be thought-provoking or inspire some sort of feeling from the people who hear it you know yeah and you know that um you know i was i was reading some reviews about it and it seems to me the ones who like really who tend, who tend to really hate the album they always bring up um uh once upon a time in shaolin mm-hmm uh and so do you think that that the the weird uh mystery and legacy that 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 the secret album has kind of hinders um certain things when it comes to how people view this album you you know i think it helps and hurts i think there are some people who are like you said they're gonna view it in a certain negative light because of that there's other people that are just going to be more interested to hear what's new coming out from these guys since they weren't allowed to hear the last one um there, there's certain people that are just gonna be more aware of things happening with them because, you know, this this uh, dude is out here getting himself in the press and you know trying to auction the album and and talking about Hillary Clinton's hair and you know all this and getting himself thrown like and stuff like that. You know, being associated with with that guy is gonna also add a certain amount of press and you know let people be aware of it so it's like is it a bad thing i mean i don't know is is it a is it hindering the way people see it like i think it's affecting the way they see it and changing the way they see it but to say it's a hindrance i don't know i think there's um you know a certain level like i said of positivity that at least there's people even if it's for you know as much of a reason that shouldn't be associated with them like this kid was was putting up the last album for ebay you know right when these guys have an album coming out and then gets himself thrown in jail it's like you know something like that happening adds just you know somehow these guys are now connected that it adds uh an awareness to people that wu-tang does have a new album coming out which is uh i guess just an odd side effect of somebody getting himself thrown in jail you know <laughs> yeah um when was the uh do you remember the the first time you uh you listened to wu-tang um the first time i listened to wu-tang would probably be um it would be one of two one of two I, i'm not sure which one was first but it would either be with my uh one of my cousins kk who uh was a big hip-hop head and he was a record collector and and he always would uh you know he would always put me on to to whatever new music he was listening to um but yeah i mean well the first time i heard them actually no the first time i heard them i was i was younger at that point so it was probably just at one of my friends houses you know there was a couple friends who i would hang with that were just real heavy into music and you know, most of the people with older brothers and sisters would get us into whatever they were listening to, you know, the high school kids. And then, um, yeah, because, you know, you got to understand when these guys came out, I was still pretty young. These guys were big celebrities by the time uh, by the time I ever worked with them already. You know, I didn't uh, make the come up with them. But, yeah, I was uh, I was young, man. I was in middle school or some shit. Uh, Josh, this has been a treat, like, to really, like, just 
get like um the story behind the background the album and just how and how you mixed it and how you you know you helped you know uh bring this you know uh, help bring forth this vibe that you know this album certainly does carry hey thanks man well thank you for having me and and i hope your uh listeners are you know fucking with the album and enjoying what they heard and and if not well then i don't know why the fuck you're listening to the wu-tang podcast you know (laughs) Yes, that's very true. Well, um, where can people find you? Uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm everywhere at Josh Gannett. Just one word, Josh Gannett, G-A-N-N-E-T. Cool, and this has been another edition of the Wu-Tang Podcast. You can find us at uh, Wu-Tang Podcast on Twitter, Wu-Tang Podcast on Instagram. Uh, hit me up at WuTangPodcast at gmail.com if you have some comments, suggestions, whatever like that, or SingarSuperior.com. I mean, shit, SingarSuperior at gmail.com or whatever like that. And I really hope you guys enjoyed this. Keep listening to the Wu-Tang. The saga continues, and we are out. Peace. Peace.